Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 17, please. Matthew chapter 17. We want to pursue the Lord as well as we are able. We want Him to hear and answer our prayers. We want to confess our sins and repent in a way that He would forgive us. We want Him to have mercy and bless our church. There is an activity in Bible, in the Bible that's not very often dealt with nor talked about, especially today. And I just want this to be a simple review of that subject. And I hope that by the scriptures used, you'll realize it is quite the Bible subject and something we ought not to neglect. Amen. We have as our purpose for this year to pray more. To pray more. Fasting is an integral part of prayer. There are times when you really want to be heard, and fasting shows greater faith, greater fervency, and a greater need when you come to the Lord. And we want to learn about that tonight. We have an important event in our church ten days from now, for which we're going to pray, and I want to challenge you at the end to fast in the next ten days, that the Lord will be merciful upon us. Fasting and many things that accompany sound doctrine have disappeared from the religious landscape of our country because men have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they want fables and entertainment more than they want sound doctrine. So there's little on fasting. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 17 where we have a very precious passage of scripture about fasting. Children, fasting means to go without food or drink or some other pleasure for some period of time, in order to show God how serious you are about some matter. Fasting is going without food, drink, or some other pleasure for some period of time to show God how serious you are. The first meal of the day is called breakfast because it breaks the fast of the night. Because between supper and breakfast is the longest time you go without food. You're fasting for those hours you're in bed. And that's why the first meal of the day is called breakfast, because it breaks the fast of the night. That's what the word fast means. Matthew chapter 17. And here are precious words. And every parent should appreciate God's mercy in saving lunatic sons. Amen. Mine are. Let us read this. Let me read this to you, beginning at verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ explained to his inquisitive disciples and to a very frustrated and disappointed father why the disciples could not cast this devil out. The disciples were pros at casting out devils. They had come to the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoiced that the spirits were subject unto them in their Lord's name. But the devils of this universe 
are in varying degrees of power and authority, might and dominion, and thrones. And they had encountered one that was too strong for them, without greater faith and a greater effort. Now, he was no problem for the Son of God. And I rejoice in that. Don't you want to shout, Amen, when you read that he was cured from that very hour? There was no difficulty for the Son of God. He did not have to reach deep into his reservoir of power to save that young lunatic boy. It was no problem for him. And I know that both kinds of spirits hear me when I preach. And I don't care. They can hear the truth again tonight. That Jesus Christ did not have any problem curing the lunatic son. And he didn't have a problem curing me. And he won't have a problem curing you or curing your sons. But there's a lesson in here. There is valuable wisdom in a verse here. The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples that though they had faith, they did not have much faith. That if they had a little faith, like the size of a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, Jesus would say, they could remove mountains. Now, Jesus did not mean that they could put table rock over fountain inn. Jesus meant that they could get rid of great difficulties and obstacles in their lives with just a little faith. But they didn't even have that much faith. The lesson we want, though, is this. Though you have that faith to remove mountains, there are some very large mountains that are not removed even with that faith. Because there is another level that you can take your dependence and broken heart to the Lord to show your fervency and need. And that is to add fasting to it. Because after explaining the importance and the power of faith in verse 20, he said in verse 21, How be it, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. The Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler and governor, master and creator of all spirits, knew that he was dealing with a very difficult one, not for him, but for us. But not so difficult for us if we would have faith of 20 and fasting of 21. A precious verse. You know, some, sometimes I might call a verse a jewel of wisdom, but this is a jewel of wisdom. It tells us that fasting gives you power with God. Not rote fasting. Not hypocritical fasting. Not Pharisee fasting. Serious fasting of a broken heart gives you power with God. Now that 20, if you were to read verses 14 through 21, which is the most important verse of this passage? Isn't it verse 21 by far? Aren't the other verses just to lead up to the importance of verse 21? Right. Isn't it verse 21 the Savior wanted to communicate to his disciples? Yep. You bless God for the Bible you have in your hands. Amen. That verse isn't in any modern version. Right. I don't care what version you want to look at. I went through my library of 50 of them this afternoon. It's not there. That verse is taken out. What value are the others without verse 21? Without verse 21, you're left kind of hopeless. But 21 teaches us a valuable lesson of the importance of fasting. Devils haven't gone away. They didn't take a long vacation for 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross. We read throughout the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul was casting out devils. We want to know the the wisdom that is in verse 21, and that is this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. You are going to meet mountains in life that faith alone will not remove. That God wants to see from us a greater degree of effort and seriousness, fervency, and a broken spirit and humility coming before him for him to intervene on our behalf. And he will. And we want to look at the Bible doctrine of fasting. Look at Daniel chapter 9. And we don't have a long time tonight. We don't need a long time. But let's look at some great men and fasting. We have gone to the New Testament to begin. Fasting. With a son that's a lunatic. It's not just prayer. It's fasting and prayer. And I'm going to show you how to fast in a way that pleases the Lord in a few verses tonight. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9. We want to see some examples of fasting. The Word of God is our holy book. The Holy Scriptures tell us 
about how we are to worship and serve the living God. And it tells us how to fast. It tells us and illustrates for us men, great men that fasted before us. I want to read the first three verses of Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed. This is how Daniel prayed when he knew he had a major event in front of him. And the major event was he was doing some Bible reading and he read of the prophecy that those captive Jews from Judah were only going to be in Babylon for 70 years and he realized they were near the end of the 70 years. And he rejoiced. And so he set his face to confess the sins of his people and to pray for God to fulfill his promise and deliver his people. But notice what he did with his prayers at such a great event. Such an epic in the, nation, in the national history of Israel. He fasted in sackcloth and ashes. We'll come back to the sackcloth and ashes in a moment. Let's go to Daniel. I mean, to jo- Jonah. A few books after Daniel. The little book of Jonah. Four chapters long. Every child in here knows about Jonah or he should. Jonah was swallowed by the whale and spent a few days and nights there. And was cast up again. And then he went to preach the second time the Lord came to him. The first time he didn't want to preach. But the second time the Lord came to him he wanted to preach for some reason. He still hadn't had all of his attitude problems corrected, but he went and preached. And we want to read in Jonah chapter 3 the effect of his preaching the third time. He went and preached into this huge city, a city so great it took three days' journey to cross it. You say, that's a big city. I can walk a long ways in a day. Took three days to cross it. He went a day's journey into it. Do you know how many people lived in that city? The last verse of the book tells us there were 120,000 under the age of five. Extrapolate that out and you have a very large city. I want to begin reading at verse five. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Now that is a great change. When you hear someone say that prayer changes things, this is a great change. The word of the Lord by the voice of Nineveh was, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But God saw their works, and what were their works? They believed, they prayed, they fasted, and they humbled themselves in sackcloth and ashes. From the highest to the lowest, including their kitty cats, their puppy dogs, and their herds and their flocks of cattle and sheep. They got very serious, and God was merciful to them. These are examples of fasting and how the Lord honored them. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Need I tell you that Anna was a woman that spent her time in the temple day and night in fastings and prayer. Need I tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ, before he entered upon his three and a half years of ministration, spent 40 days fasting. Acts chapter 10, 
verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. The prayers and the giving of Cornelius came up into the holy presence of God, and God accepted them. I want to show you something about how he prayed. Now it says here that Luke, writing to Theophilus, said evidently about the ninth hour of the day. Evidently means based on the evidence of the case, because it comes later in the chapter. What is the ninth hour of the day? 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Let us come down to verse 30. Cornelius said, Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. So what was Cornelius doing that his prayers were heard by God? He was fasting. The Word of God tells us that. These are examples of fasting. When the Apostle Paul was one of the teachers in the church that was at Antioch in Acts 13, what did that church do? What did those elders do before they sent Paul out on his first preaching trip? They fasted and prayed, then laid hands on them. The very next chapter, when Paul has made his circuit and is returning back through the churches that he had formed, he fasted and prayed when he ordained elders in every church. These are examples, and there are many more in the Bible, of men fasting. Is fasting valid in the New Testament? Well, we've, we've already answered that, haven't we? Because we see it in the book of Acts, by the apostle, by Cornelius. We see it in Annas. We see it in, in Anna. We see it in Jesus. We see it in the advice and, and instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ for the disciples on why they couldn't cure the lunatic son. And we see it in the Old Testament. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9 and see how common it was and how common it would be after Jesus Christ returned to heaven. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus explained, You know, why would my disciples be fasting? They've got me with them. They're going to do their fasting as soon as I leave. So there we have, we have a, in, in the next verse, verse 15, we're told that the disciples of Jesus Christ did fast, and did fast a lot once Jesus Christ left. And sure enough, when we get to Acts, we find them doing that. But we notice that the disciples of John the Baptist fasted often. John the Baptist was a holy man. And John the Baptist had disciples that followed him, that baptized along with him. And what were those men committed to? They were holy men. John the Baptist was turning the affairs of Israel upside down. They fasted. They were fasting men. Fasting goes along with holiness. Because a man that is serious about holiness will take the time and the pain and the trouble to fast, to come unto his God, to approach to him, and to seek repentance for his, to seek repentance and forgiveness for his sins and for his blessing on his ministry and his life. But you might say to me, well, the Pharisees fasted often as well. Yes, and we know the huge difference, don't we? The Pharisee stood and said, he wanted to tell the Lord in front of the whole street about how many times he fasted. And the Lord said, you know, that man went down to his house without any of my blessing or my accepting anything that he had done. So the Pharisee fasting was of no value. But we know that John the Baptist was a man sent from God. The Pharisees were not. So we look at their fasting and we see that it was a practice of the New Testament. Since the Bible's our holy book, how does it tell us to fast? You know, the Catholics have more rules about fasting than the IRS has laws in its tax code. 
you would not believe to try to read a Catholic manual of religion about fasting. They don't have a clue, and they have made a superstitious monster out of fasting. You know, a fast to a Catholic, which used to be done every Friday, and those of you that went to the public school system knew it, because on Friday you had to eat fish sticks. Do you recall the fish sticks you had to have on Friday? That's because the Catholics had enough power, even back when you were a child, and for some of you that's a long time ago, the Catholics had enough power to enforce on our public educational system their idea of fasting. Their idea of fasting is you can't eat meat. And the reason they word it that way is so that they can fulfill 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where the Lord says it's the doctrine of a devil. But while you're abstaining from meat by the commandment of that church, you are welcome to go have a shrimp appetizer and then have some broiled scallops and chase it with some, lob- with some flounder stuffed with lobster and crab. Yes, go for it. Go for it. Because their little church made a distinction between meat and fish. And so that's why some of you had fish sticks every Friday in the public school system. You should read about Lent. Lent is the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. Now the problem is when you look at a calendar, there's 46 days. But they call it 40. Because they skip Sundays, because on Sundays you can gorge yourselves. What's the day before Ash Wednesday when they take ashes and put it on their forehead like a Hindu? Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, French for Fat Tuesday. What does Fat Tuesday mean? Gorge and be a glutton on Tuesday so that you can survive through this fast. What does it mean to fast during Lent for a Catholic? You are limited to one full meal a day with meat, two small meals without meat, and any beverage you want between meals. Wow, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't eat or drink for 40 days. Oh, you ought to read their rules. You ought to read their rules. You can be having hot chocolate, Nestle's Quick, wine, beer, anything you want. I'm talking about 1950s conservative Catholicism. The stuff today, they don't know what they believe. I'm talking about 1950s Catholicism. This was for Lent. One full meal, two small meals, and any beverage in between. And that's called a fast. And you could have meat, what they call meat, and you could have fish at the other two. You know, those of us who have had restaurants for the last 11 years here in this town, we know that when Lent comes in and someone comes in with ashes on their forehead, they're going to order tuna fish sandwich or a vegetarian pizza. Right, sons? We know. We know. That's their idea of a fast. I went into that because, see, the Catholics take everything from the Word of God and corrupt it to serve their own ends. And it makes everyone feel so special to be participating in this pagan concept of 40 days that's really 46. That begins with a day of gorging called Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday. And you walk around with ashes on your forehead for the first day of it. What does the Bible say about fasting? I said all of that because we want to ask the Bible... Not what the church fathers have said. Look at Daniel chapter 10. Fasting, as I told the children when we began, is going without food, drink, or something pleasant for some period of time. When we read Jonah chapter 3, what did the king decree that they were to go without? Food Food and water. Could they taste anything? Could they have a small meal, as the Catholics would say? What would the king say? They couldn't taste anything. That was serious fast. That was a serious fast. And the Lord saw their works and turned and repented from what he had said he would do. Wonderful, powerful passage. And that the Lord Jesus Christ turned that on the Jews of his day when he said, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up in the day of judgment with this generation Because all they got was Jonah. And Jonah didn't even want them to be saved. And that generation of Jews had the Lord Jesus Christ and they didn't repent. Isn't that horrible? That is a horrible comparison to make between the Ninevites repenting, the Assyrians, pagan Assyrians repenting at the preaching of Jonah that wasn't even sincere. It was true, but it wasn't sincere. 
and the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ to his own people. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But I thank God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. And praise be to his holy name. We've repented at the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and that of his apostles. Right. Come back to Daniel chapter 10. I want to read the third verse because we're trying to answer the question, how does the Bible teach us to fast? Daniel 10, 2. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. See, now there's a description. That's not totally abstaining from food and drink. It's abstaining from meat. It's abstaining from wine and pleasant bread. No sweet rolls. No croissants. No Pop-Tarts. You know, it was, it was dry bread, old bread, sliced bread, simple bread, poor bread, base bread that he ate. And he did it for three weeks. He didn't anoint himself. He stunk. But he was humbling himself before the Lord because it was important for him to know more about what the Lord had revealed to him in chapter 9. And did the Lord reveal to him some more? Chapters 10, 11, and 12 are wonderful. And this is how Daniel approached the Lord. And it's how we want to approach the Lord. One day, three days, seven days, 40 days are all scriptural. They can all be found in the Bible. And I don't have time to turn you to all the references. You know that in Esther chapter 4, did Esther, Mordecai, and all the Jews that were in Shushan, the capital of the Persian Empire, did they fast? How long? Three days. Three days. Yes, they did fast. And were they heard? Yes. Was there an overturning of a, of a law of the pagan Persian government? Amen. The law that cannot be altered. Was it overturned anyway? Was that bigger than moving Table Rock over Fountain Inn? Yeah. Are you with me on that? The laws of the Medes and the Persians cannot be altered until you fast and pray and beseech the God of heaven. And then amazing things can happen. And a man named Haman can dangle on his own gallows. Amen. And thousands and thousands of all the Jews' enemies from coast to coast can be obliterated in one great day. And then that day can be renewed so you can do it again the next day. There was a sequel to Purr in the great book of Esther. And notice how they began it all, fasting with their prayers that God would bless Esther when she stepped into the court of Ahasuerus, that he would hold out that scepter to her. And not only did he hold it out to her, he had to go into the garden to get a breath of fresh air because he was so angry he was about to choke Haman with his own two hands, wasn't he? He had to step out of the garden when he came back in. Haman wasn't very wise because God had stolen all wisdom that he did have. And he was hauled out. Remember, wonderful story. Amen. What, did it, what started it, though? Prayer and fasting. We want, to, we want to humble ourselves before the Word of God. And, brethren, I want to say something right now. I want to say something about this right now. It does not matter if we can preach this subject. It doesn't matter if we can hear the subject. Are we going to do the subject? Amen. Oh, it's easy to preach a subject like this, and it's easy to hear it. But are we going to do it? And we're going to use an event that we have ten days from right now to get it started. And then I hope that we can keep it up during the year for other things, private and public, for our church. I wonder. My wife asked this last night when we were having devotions. Do you think the citizens of Nineveh when the kings proclaimed a fast, that they weren't to taste anything, nor eat or drink, how many of them, do you think, sent the king an email and told them that they were getting a headache? <laughs> I like that answer. Now, some of you have a, a puzzled look on your face. What do I mean by that? People today in America that are addicted to carbohydrates and eating every 60 minutes, now, you have meals every few hours, but you eat every 60 minutes, most of you. They can't imagine going without food. And without all those processed carbohydrates coming into your system, there is something that happens in just a few hours. You get a headache because your blood sugar crashes. 
Now, is that an excuse? That's part of fasting. That's part of fasting. It might do you some good, too. But I'm not going to mention that. You know, men in the Bible fasted. It was part of God's ordinance and what his people did. I wonder about the health benefits of it. And I don't really wonder because I've read, but I'm not going to say them because I don't want you fasting for carnal reasons. Because if you do it to consume it on your lust, you won't get any mountains removed at all. But the point being, when you go without food, you might get hungry. You might get a headache. You might feel weak. You might get depressed. Go to the Lord in prayer and submit yourself to Him. I don't think the Jews in Shushan who were fighting for their lives were worried about a headache. I don't think the father with the lunatic son cared about a headache. He wanted his son cured. And I hope that when we face great matters of prayer that we want them cured as well. We're spoiled Americans. We're not like the people in the Bible. They endured more hardship and they were willing to to obey their king in fasting and praying. God hasn't called us to damage our bodies. But he has called us to afflict our bodies. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 8. I like this one of many illustrations. You know you have encountered the word fast, fasting, a few times in your Bible reading, haven't you? There's lots of references. We can't go to them all. I like this one. Ezra chapter 8. You know, we are not like the Mexican Catholics that will go through city streets beating themselves with a whip, thinking that they're going to make peace with God by self-flagellation. We're not like those in the Philippines that will crucify themselves on crosses for the tourists and to make peace with God. That that is called for nowhere in the Word of God. The only people that cut themselves, burn themselves, and do self-destructive things to themselves are the followers of Baal and other pagan deities, not Christians. Not Christians, but we are to afflict ourselves because there's no harm done if you were to lose a few meals. Looking at most of you, there'd be good, there'd be good done. Right. And me for losing a few meals. No harm. The body would have time to cleanse itself. But let's look at Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Ezra's coming back with some of those Jews that were in Babylon back to Jerusalem to inhabit Judea and Jerusalem. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Havava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. What a verse. I love that verse. He tells us exactly why he proclaimed a fast. That we might afflict ourselves before our God, not before others, not to prove how long we can go without food, but before our God, to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance, that God would lead us and our children and our estates and protect us. And then he explains the predicament he was in. Because there were enemies approaching and they were threatened with their lives. He's speaking here to us, and he says in 22, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. When he was before the king and asked to be able to leave to go back to Jerusalem, he wanted to show his great confidence in God, so he didn't ask for the king who would have sent some horsemen to protect him. So now he's in a predicament. He's about to encounter his enemies, he was, he was not going to ask the king for help because he had taught the king that his trust was in the Lord. So now he's proclaimed a fast for the Lord to protect him and his little ones and all their stuff from the enemy. Let me go back to verse 22 now. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this. And he was entreated of us. Every one of you with a difficulty in your life. Does your family, your larger family, your neighbors, your acquaintances, do they know that you fear God? 
when you have a difficulty in your life, you ought to approach it the very way this man did right here in these three verses. Lord God, we have put our trust in you, and it is known. We have not asked for their help, and there is trouble in our family now, and we are asking you to deliver us. For the sake of your name, and for the sake of us who trust in your name, that we will not be disgraced for trusting in your name. Do you understand that? We all... And he fasted and he prayed, and the Lord was entreated by him. In Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel was in the lion's den, what did King Darius do without that night? Did he fast? He did. He fasted. He didn't eat that night. The king always had Pop-Tarts and croissants and stuff before he went to bed. How do you know that? Because the king always had confectionaries, even in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? You know that. They always liked dainty breads. Daniel went without them. The king fasted, but what else did he go without? No music. The king went to bed with an orchestra. You know, he didn't have a, a clock radio. King Darius had an orchestra. No musical instruments. And the point I'm going through right now is giving up things that are pleasant to you in order to show your seriousness with God. And Darius did not want anything to happen to Daniel that night, so he fasted, and he did not have his music, and sleep went from him because he was used to going to bed with his orchestra playing. And so sleep went from him, and as soon as it was morning to where he would have fulfilled the law, he was at the mouth of that lion's den. These are examples in the Bible. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that a couple may go without ordinary sexual relations for a while in order to add to their seriousness. And that was also taught back in the book of Exodus in approaching unto the Lord. We have read some verses where it said they were in sackcloth. And there's many, many verses that tell us that when a person was fasting, they would also wear sackcloth, sometimes inside their clothes, sometimes as their only clothes. Now, if I really wanted to be dramatic, I could have cut a hole at the top and one at each side and worn this tonight, as Brother Chris suggested. But I thought I'd bring this for you, just for you to think about it a moment. On your bare skin, this would not be very comfortable. A pinpoint Oxford, Brother Chad, that you're wearing tonight is rather comfortable against the skin. A pinpoint Oxford is sewing that cotton so tightly together that it feels almost like satin. It ain't like this. This against the skin would be a very humbling garment to wear, or anything like this. Sackcloth. We call this a burlap bag. There's a couple up here for your children. When you're reading through the Bible, no sack races after the service tonight. Hopefully you don't even know what that is. My children had a difficult time figuring that one out. They know that I'm from another generation when I can use a a three-legged race or words like that. <clears throat> sackcloth. Now just, now just think. Why do we read fasting, sackcloth, and ashes? That is, that is showing the Lord your terrible seriousness and humbling yourself. A shower feels good. A shower and fresh clothing feels wonderful. That would not. No shower, no anointing like Dan, we've already read about Daniel. And then they would lay, lie in ashes. Or sit in ashes. We've read one or two places already. There's more references. No food, no drink, that on, in ashes. That is how someone approached the God of heaven in the Bible. Now that is so foreign to the way we think that it's almost hard for you to imagine it. But that's what the Bible teaches. If you really wanted to show your seriousness and overturn Things like God saying in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Come up here and feel this. And think about that on your body and no shower and no anointing. No combing of your hair. No eating. No drinking. And then sit or lie in ashes. Ashes are filthy. Dust and residue left from a fire. See, the Bible doesn't tell us to put them on our forehead like a Hindu. The Bible tells us to sit in them. And show God our broken and contrite heart that I started out with this evening from Psalm 51. 
Now, will the ashes and the, and the burlap do it by itself? Does he care about the ashes and the burlap if your heart isn't in it? Not at all. doesn't mean a thing to him. That would be a fast of hypocrisy, and you know the passages against that. He wants us to rend our heart. He wants us to rend our heart, not just our bodies. But that would be serious. That's a man serious about prayer who would climb into one of those without any clothes on so that it's against his skin, rub some ashes on his body, lie down all day, and pray to God for mercy. It's not just an object lesson and it's not just a Bible story. We're frivolous in our generation. We're superficial. We're weak. We're pitiful in comparison to the Bible. Jesus said, if I had appeared in the cities of Co-Raisin or other places, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. A New Testament reference to those same two things. You're in the book of Ezra. Can you find the book of Joel? Hosea, Joel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. I want to show you the importance of our hearts every time we fast because just going without food is not enough. Fasting must be accompanied by an afflicting of our hearts. We must afflict and trouble our hearts by examining them and confessing our sins, admitting our folly, and going to God with afflicted hearts. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Here's the prophet telling Israel how they can find mercy from the Lord. Joel 2.12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. He's, he's telling us so far what we've learned tonight. If you want to turn to the Lord with all your heart, do it with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And rend your heart. That's to break your heart. That's to tear your own heart. Lord, I am wrong. I give up where I've been holding out. You are right. Your word is right. I have been sinning against it. Rend your heart. I am nothing. I am a fool. You are right and righteous. Rend your heart and not your garments. Do you see what the priority is? Where the emphasis is to be? Rend your heart not your garments. How many times in the Bible have we read when a man was greatly grieved, he would rend his gar- garments. He would tear his garments. But the Lord says what's important to him was not tearing the garments, but tearing the heart. And I just told you how to tear your heart. I am wrong. I am foolish. You are right. I give you what I've been holding out from you. You have a right to everything in my life. So we rend our heart. And rent not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him? Even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. They didn't even have enough for a meat offering and a drink offering, and God was going to leave that behind them as a blessing. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. But notice how they got there, to that place where the Lord would be jealous for his land and pity his people. It was based on weeping and mourning and fasting and rending the heart. So it's not a hypocritical fast. It's not just going without food. If you just go without food and go off to work and don't pray, don't rend your heart, don't humble yourself before God, it's of no value at all, except you've you're going to suffer a little bit of atrophy and you're going to lose some muscle tissue during the day for not eating. You won't make any headway with the Lord. It's rending your heart that's important. The proper doctrine and life has to accompany fasting. Isaiah 58, and I'm not going to turn there, but the whole chapter is about, is this my fast? 
is this the kind of fast I've called for? When you go without food and yet you're having all the pleasures of your life? Oh, no, that's not my fast. My fast is when you relieve the oppressed, when you deliver those that are imprisoned, when you help those that are in need, along with going without food. He's very specific in the Bible that we want our character and our conduct to match the effort of the fasting. Fasting can be done corporately. Look at the cases where a king ordered it of the whole group of, of a whole group of people. Or it can be done privately and no one else would ever know it. And if you're fasting privately, the Bible tells you how you ought to appear in public. If you're wearing sackcloth and ashes at home, how do you appear in public? Washed and anointed so that no one knows. Because your Father which seeth in secret will reward you openly is what he promises us. Why should we fast? We want, whenever we want to show God great contrition and repentance for our sins. When you want to show God how broken your heart is, you first break your heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite spirit. Those sacrifices, O Lord, Lord thou wilt not despise. But then you can humble your body and put something like that on and go without food and spend that time in prayer and tell the Lord that he is right and you are wrong. And he sees that as a confession. He overturned his judgment of Nineveh. Even Ahab. Ahab fasted and put on sackcloth and walked delicately. And God had mercy on Ahab. Wicked Ahab. By fasting. You will all face events in your life like the father with the lunatic. If you treat it casually like the disciples, there will be no effect. If you go to the Lord and his word and increase your faith, there will still be no effect. If we trust the word of God, there are mountains that will come into your life that do not leave without fasting and prayer. Because God wants to see if we will humble ourselves enough. Because it takes humility to put that filthy thing on. It takes humility to make yourself hungry if you're doing it for the Lord's sake. Now, if you're doing it for pride, it's easy to do it. But if you're doing it for the Lord's sake when no one else can see it, the Lord will hear that man. And you will be able to move mountains that are otherwise unmovable according to the word of God. When David was told that Bathsheba's child would die, no food, on the deck, prone for seven days, begging God for the life of that child. Now the Lord chose in that particular case to fulfill his word. And David knew as soon as he knew the Lord's will with the child dying, he rose and washed his face and anointed himself and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. That is a man that is totally humbled to the will of God. Totally humbled to the will of God. There was no complaining, no crying, and no continuing on in a state of fasting. He ended it, but he went to the house of God and he worshipped. That is a great attitude about prayer, even after seven days of fasting and lying on the ground. Amen. Fasting is used to show great contrition and repentance and, and sorrow and a broken heart to God and humility to him that he would have mercy on us for our sins, individually or collectively. It's also to beg him for a great matter like the life of David's child. Like a great matter when the Apostle Paul made his way into Damascus and fasted for three days after seeing the Lord Jesus Christ because that was a life-changing event in Paul's life. He didn't go into Damascus and ask for food. He went into to Damascus and fasted and prayed because God told Ananias in a dream, Behold, he prayeth. And the Lord used that man greatly. Are there, are there situations that call for fasting today? The Bible gives us examples of things that affect our own lives. The death of family members, as with David, or the threat of death of a, of a child. The lunatic and his, the, the lunatic's son. There are events. Ezra needing protection from enemies. Nineveh wanting to avoid God's judgment. Daniel wanting the word of God open to him to understand 
the, th- the things that God had for the nation of Israel. Those are all events that face us as well. We should be willing to fast. And we should be willing from time to time to try some of the more severe methods of the Bible. If not, how can we call ourselves Bible Christians? We don't look like 21st century Christians when we do that because they don't do anything like that. But we ought to look like Bible Christians. Undertaking a great responsibility justifies fasting. We did it before we had an ordination in this church. And it was true before the ordinations in the New Testament. And seeking a great blessing from God justifies fasting. We want prayer to be a more important part of our lives in 2005. And one way to make prayer more important is to get so serious about prayer that you fast along with your praying. We have an important event for our church in just 10 days on February 9th. I'm not going to set out any sheet to have people sign up. But I hope that between now and then over the next 10 days, that each of you that fear God, some of you won't because you don't fear God. It's that simple. There's no other explanation. Can't give me one. You certainly can't give the Lord one. There's a family in here that needs the Lord's mercy in their lives, and I hope that that son is as dear to all of you as it is as he is to them. Amen. I would hope that over the next 10 days, you are able to fast one day between now and then, and you're able to fast on that day until you hear the news, whether the child is dead or the child is living, if you know what I mean by that. That would be one day sometime during the next 10 days, beginning tomorrow, and it would be February 9th, Wednesday, 10 days from now. This is an opportunity for us. This is not a burden for us. This is not a punishment for us. This is a privilege and an opportunity. I pray that I've covered enough to excite you about the possibilities of it. And let's beg God that that parole board will be turned to release Brandon out of that prison and have him here with us. And let's beg him for that. And let's add fasting to our prayer to show the Lord how important and serious this matter is to us. It is easy to preach a message like this. It's easy to hear it. It is a whole different thing for us to do it. If we merely hear this sermon or preach it and do little or nothing about fasting in our lives, we are great hypocrites. We are not Bible Christians. If we have brotherly love, this will be an easy task. If we trust every word of God, including fasting, this will be an easy task. I trust before the Lord that you'll humble your hearts and say, I want to do that. I want to do that for the Lord's sake. I want to do that for the baker's sake. I want to do that for Brandon's sake. I want to do that for our church's sake. I want to do that for a testimony of the gospel in a young man's life. And I trust that you'll do that. What an opportunity for us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.